0: We'll turn to God's word and we're going to turn to 1st John and we're going to read this section again on uh, love for the brothers in chapter 4 which uh, we're going to look at the last few verses of it uh, this week. Uh, Chapter 5 turns to a different subject in that sense. Uh, 1st John chapter 4 from verse 7 we'll read, I'm going to be preaching from verse 17 but don't switch off till we get to verse 17. Um, and indeed this is one of those passages, and John does this so often, he's done it in smaller passages, he does it in bigger ones. If you look closely, uh, the beginning of this passage and the end are little bookmarks, as it were, of what goes in between. He comes back to where he started. First John 4 and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who, lo- who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time, If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. In this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Well, we come to the end of this section in 1 John 4 from verse 7 onwards about Christian uh, mutual love and as I said before really it brings us around where it starts, That's the way John is amazingly able in what seems to be simple words but the, the constructs of his letter are intricate and he comes round to the end and he's back where he was uh, talking about loving one another because uh, it means that that proves that we are of god and he who does not love does not know god for god is love verse 8 and it's the same thoughts at the end so really this falls into two parts want to look at verse 17 and 18 and then 19 20 and 21 sum up uh, this whole passage and i've called it love and the reality of salvation that's what it's about We who know God, we're told in verses 12 to 16, are those who live in love, end of verse 16. He who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. And therefore, amongst us, it is is amongst us that God's love, as it says at the end of verse 12, has been perfected, or is made complete, literally, in us. And we spoke of this the other week, that what... It's the, what the world can't see of God's love from him to us can be seen by our love to one another. We have been singing tonight of God's love to us in our second hymn and our third hymn. And we can go out and we can tell people to we're blue in the face of our experience and our testimony. And they can perhaps see the joy and the happiness that it brings that we have this faith in God Uh, But they are still going to be saying, well, where's the proof? How do we know you haven't just had some sort of weird experience? Lots of people have different weird experiences. Why should we believe that yours is true? And the answer given in John here, and indeed by the Lord Jesus Christ, is this, isn't it? That it's by the love of Christians for one another... That the world is to be forced to understand that it is really true that God loves us. It's really true that he has sent his son that we might live through him. Sent his son as the propitiation, verses 9 and 10. That this great reality of our sins being forgiven, of the great hope that we have, that these things are true because we say also... And look, we are those who are no better than anyone else. And we are those who are sinners. And yet God has loved us. And here we are, people from all over the world, people with different backgrounds, nothing else in common. And people should see the love we have for one another and they should say there's something real there. That we can't explain in any other way. And therefore, verse 17 begins, love has been perfected among us. John's back to this, completed. He's saying this, that there is complete love amongst Christians. Not, of course, that we all love each other perfectly. He, he's talking extensively. He's saying, here, here is the reality of God bringing together a people who love one another who don't just love one or two of one another, who love all of one another. And that leads us into these two points. Because he says, love has been perfected among us in this. And he goes on to speak in our first point of love and assurance of salvation. He says, this is how God's love is perfected among us, that we, so that we may have, literally so that, we may have Boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. What does that mean? It means this, that loving our brothers and sisters gives us confidence. As we contemplate the day of judgment, the uh, in here means up to, into. As we look forward, as we want now to know that we are confident that it will go well with us in the day of judgment as we are contemplating that day not on that day but now and we are going to have boldness and we are going to have confidence on that day and we say how can we and we can say because of the evidence that God has given us that we are truly those who belong to him because one of the great problems in the Christian life isn't it is doubt not Maybe that some Christians certainly can can doubt sometimes under Satan's temptation that the gospel is true. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the doubt where we say, "I know that the gospel is true. I, I know that all the I believe all these other people are Christians." But sometimes we doubt ourselves because we see our sins and we don't see the hearts of others. We can only see our own. And Satan says, see your sins. Can you really be confident that on the day of judgment they're not going to rise up against you? Can you really be confident that someone like you, God, Christ, is going to own on that day? And we, the answer back to him is this. We say to him and we say to ourselves, see this love. That I have for other believers. Which I couldn't possibly have put inside myself. A love which is an evidence of the reality of God's work in me. He says, doesn't he, that as he is, so we are in this world. As God is in this world, loving his people. We live in God. And he lives in us. There it is in the verse before. He who abides in love abides in God and God in him. We know that the love we have for our fellow believers is because we live in God and he lives in us. It's a supernaturally given, spirit produced love. It's the first fruit of the spirit. It's the primary evidence of the reality of us being one with God. On the day when Christ comes, of which we have been singing, all motives will be revealed. Christ knows them perfectly. And he taught, didn't he, in that famous passage in Matthew 25 of his coming in glory, And he speaks of how it is that he will come, the Son of Man will come in his glory and all the holy angels with him and he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats and put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And he will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. And we say, and and, and the power is not a parable, is it? It's a statement. It, it, It says, Who's going to be on the right hand? And Jesus says, It's those who saw him when he was hungry and thirsty and a stranger and naked and sick and in prison. And did what was needed. And the people will say, we never saw it, you Lord. And he says, ah, but what you did for the least of these, my brothers, Christians, you did for me. And conversely, of course, those who say, well Lord, we would have done something for you if we'd ever had the chance. And he says, how did you treat Christians, my brothers? And and that's not the only criterion, is it, on the day of judgment. It's not the only statement that's in the scripture about the division on that day. But it's a powerful statement, isn't it? Those who inherit the kingdom are those who Christ will point out on that day as lovers of his brothers. As proof of being his sheep, not goats. He will say, here is the evidence. These people who lived their lives in a way perhaps who were unnoticed by the world, despised, rejected, persecuted by the world and they loved each other. And they loved each other because they love me. They loved each other for my sake. So now, as we come on, Because as he is, you see, so are we in this world. In this way we are like Jesus. We are lovers of Christians. Not the same extent of love, is it? Of course not. His love is perfect. But it's the same quality of love. And he taught this very clearly, didn't he? John doubtless had these words ringing in his ears, the ears of his mind, when he wrote this. A new commandment I give to you, says the Lord, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. That's how you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. This love which cannot be explained, because it cannot be produced in any other way. So it's a proof that we are his disciples, a proof to the world, but a proof also to us. When our hearts condemn us, when we doubt When we think of the day of judgment, it can give us boldness. Because, as John goes on to say, there is no fear in love. Not in in this love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. Christ's love to us contains no fear. That is, no tormenting fear of punishment. John is not speaking about the true godly fear that we should have. The reverent awe of God. He is t- not talking about the, the sort of fear where we we fear to to, uh, to disobey him and to displease him, and we walk carefully. Because we fear to disobey and displease him. Because we love him. He's not talking about that loving fear. He's talking, as he says, about the sort of fear uh, that has torment. The torment within us now, which is a true reflection and a true evidence of the fact that we shall be in torment forever. No, this, this he says, perfect love casts out this Fear. This fear of judgment, this tormenting fear of punishment. Perfect love drives this fear out perfectly. Now we do not love perfectly. So we may not have that fear driven out perfectly. But the point is this therefore, isn't it? That that's something to try and attain to. But we can say this, the more that you love your fellow believers, the more you will be assured that you are of God And that Christ will own you on that day verse 7 beloved let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God and here is that powerful evidence we need evidence don't we we know the gospel we believe the gospel we trust in Christ we we have a knowledge in our souls that we know Him. We, we have experience in our souls of of walking with Him. We we have this, and and then then we think of the judgment, and we start to fear, and uh, uh, and, and we start to doubt. Will I be? What will happen to me on that day? And and we need evidences, and the evidences. Well, we're told, aren't we, in a, in a much more general sense? So it includes this. In Romans eight and verse sixteen, where Paul talks about assurance of salvation, and he says the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. With our spirit, looking at our spirit, looking at what we're like, looking at what is within us, the fruit of the Spirit, and saying, none of that, none of that could possibly be there. If before I was a Christian, none of that was there. It's implanted in, it's it's an evidence of the spirit and the spirit is the first fruits of our salvation. The evidence, the guarantee, the earnest of our salvation. And we have God's spirit within us. He has put his spirit within us. And then, and we see, as we see the evidence of the spiritual life, it's a witness. The other witness is the direct witness of the spirit and the two go together the witness of the Spirit where we call out Abba Father and the witness of our spirit as to to the reality that his spirit dwells in our spirit. And therefore we can be assured as we see the fruit of the Spirit that we are safe because we are of God. If you fear judgment, it is because of your sins Indeed, if I can, we can say more. We can say, if you fear judgment, it is because you believe there is a God who will judge, and you believe that you really are a sinner. And the world goes on by believing there is no God, or if they do, believing that they're not going to be condemned for their sins. If you fear judgment, it's because of your sins. And if you keep on sinning against believers, either by what you do or what you don't do, either by commission or omission, and your conscience tells you you are not walking aright, you are not treating your brothers and sisters aright, you are not loving them as you should, you are not showing that evidence that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 25. If you keep on sinning in that way, you will keep on fearing that you are not a Christian. The more you fail in love, the more you will fear that you are not a believer, and I would say rightly. So to quieten your doubts if you are a believer, what must you do? Well, you see, the point is what you mustn't do. If you're not a believer, if you're not truly a Christian, And you will say you keep saying the Bible keeps saying love to Christians is the evidence of being saved. And you say, well, and you talk to yourself and you say, I I don't see it in my heart. Well, you will quieten your doubts. This is what you will do: you will excuse your lack of love. Probably, you will excuse it by criticising your fellow believers. How can you love those people? You might, of course, because such is the way that sin works in our heart in deception, that you might criticise them for being unloving. And then you have the excuse, well, I, I can't love them. We need to test ourselves each one, don't we? Are we truly walking in love? Uh, the love of Christ, of God, to us, which, which we can't produce ourselves and which, which flows out to one another. But there's something else I need to say, I think, before we go on to the second point. Uh, and I think I said this the other week, but it's uh, it, it, in a different way. But it, we, we need this. We all need this. You may, we all do. Let's put, not say you may. We all do, sometimes, feel guilty. Because we don't do more for other Christians And we can feel guilty sometimes that we don't do for other Christians what we absolutely can't do. To use a very silly example, you shouldn't feel guilty if you don't give a believer a lift to church if you haven't got a car. But sometimes, some Christians, some of us, brothers and sisters, we have the sort of conscience that starts thinking I should do something for someone even if you can't do it at all. And you might, as we get older and we get more infirm and we get more laid aside and we used to do things for people and we used to be active to to love and we would visit people and we would do all that we could for others in practical ways and we just can't do it anymore. And Satan comes in and he says, see, well, you thought you loved them, but you're not doing what you did. And he starts putting doubts in our soul. What do you do? Well, you say, well, I am going to show the love that I can show. Now, I can't show the love that I used to in the ways I did. And how are you going to show that love? Well, perhaps you're going to get on the telephone and you're just going to talk to someone. But even if you can't do that or you're not doing that, what are you doing? What can you do? You can pray. You can pray spiritually you can pray for your brothers and sisters you can say lord there is so and so and i used to help them in so many ways and i can't do anything for them other people have had to take that burden up but i pray for them and you do it from the heart and you do it in christ's love and this will reassure your hearts how could you do that why Would you do that if you're not a believer? When no one is seeing you and there you are pouring out your soul requests for the good of other Christians. How and why would you do that if you don't love them with Christ's love? You wouldn't do it. Behold he prays was the test wasn't it? The evidence of Paul's conversion. Paul the Pharisee who would have stood on street corners and prayed so everyone could hear him. But now he's really praying. Prayer is such a powerful evidence, isn't it? True prayer of being a believer. We cry out to God. And if we love one another, we will cry out to God for them if we can do nothing else. And in the remainder of the time we have, I want to move on then to this second point. Which brings all this to a conclusion. Love as the test of life. We can say that one man wrote a commentary on the book of First John called The Tests of Life. life so much of, you can look at First John like that. He is trying to distinguish, he's trying to, to reassure Christians, but he's trying to challenge people who are false believers as well. And here is love as the test of life and it starts here in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Now if you've got the authorised version or the King James you'll have, or the New New King James, we love him because he first loved us. Uh, But that hymn shouldn't be there. But the point is, it shouldn't be there because John has been talking all the way through about our love for one another, not our love for God. And yet now he's beginning to come to talk about our love for God again. And the problem with the hymn is not that it's not a true statement, it's that it's too restrictive. If we say we love because he first loved us, that's true of we love God because he first loved us. And we love believers because God first loved us and therefore brought us to himself in Christ, The whole passage here is about loving one another, but John is going to come on in the next verse to talk about someone who says, I love God. You see, if you have love in your heart to God, as well as to fellow believers, it results from God's love to us. Verse 9. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Here is God giving us love. Here is God, as we sang in our second hymn, being beforehand with us, having loved us with an everlasting love, a love which has brought us to Christ in due time. And therefore we should love God, and we should love God for saving us and before we love our fellow believers. This is the primary love, isn't it? And we ought to love God. And we ought to love one another. And it's the result of the Holy Spirit's working. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. The Holy Spirit given in God's love. What an amazing love. Here he speaks of God giving his Son... And then he speaks of God giving his spirit. The Father gives the Son and the Spirit for our salvation. There is love. The Holy Spirit coming to indwell us, to sanctify us, and to empower us, and to give us, as part of that power, the power to love God, and to love one another with a holy love. So, John goes on to say, If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And we've seen that before, haven't we? He says that we know, verse 14 of chapter 3, we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. He, he, He comes back to this. If you don't love a seen brother, you cannot love an unseen God. For God is manifested in the believer by his his Holy Spirit. And Christians therefore, those who are truly of God, have been born again of God. And therefore we love one another. Whereas those who openly or secretly despise Christians are not themselves Christians. Verse 14 of chapter 3. We know that we have passed from death to life, here's the test of life, because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And we see this, don't we? We see it in so many ways, even in our day. We see people who would say they're Christians and when we stand up for biblical truth, they hate us and they oppose us. And you have to say, because we believe the word of God, well then they're not believers at all. Let me give you two very brief historical examples to, to demonstrate this. In the 1859, which is still called in Wales, the Welsh Revival, and there was a great outpouring of God's Spirit, Uh, and there were churches built all over the place, and people were preaching the Gospel. It was a sort of second great awakening after the one in the generation before with Whitfield and Harris and Rowlands and these men. And yet those churches, many of them, not all, so quickly went astray from the gospel. So that when God worked again in 1904 and 1905 there were people who were saved and they were people who were saved whose churches were dead but they were saved and therefore they wanted to go back to those churches and they wanted to say we have been saved we are Christians and and they were given the cold shoulder they were despised they were rejected so many of them that they, they found other, founded other churches and a lot of the, the Pentecostal churches in South Wales come out of this. You see churches where God has been powerfully at work 50, under 50 years later. And truly born again new believers full of the joy of the Lord are being told you're not welcome here. Are those people who are saying that to them Christians? When Marty Lloyd Jones went to Sandfield, you can read it in his biography, 1927, and his church secretary was a man who came to see under the doctor's ministry uh, that he was not a believer. And he became a believer, but there were others who left the church after the doctor came, many others joined. That's the first example. The second example, you had the student Christian movement. And the student Christian movement was a movement which was seeking to to be for student Christians. But it went off into liberalism. And people had to leave it to form what became the UCCF, Universities and Colleges Christian Fellowship, to stand after the Second World War, to stand for the gospel. And some of those Christian unions affiliated to that are still good. But I, we know of a, a, a girl who went to a, a Christian union uh, in a, a smallish college, and the Christian union consisted of seven people. And when they found out what she believed, they derided her and drove her out. They would have nothing to do with her. This is a Christian union, so-called. But when someone wanted to stand up for the truth of God's word, they threw her out. You see what we're saying? Are people like that believers? Are we meant to go through life with rose-tinted spectacles so that everybody who says, I'm a Christian, you say they're a Christian? We are not to say they're not. We We wait to find out. By their fruit, you will know them. And John puts it, doesn't he, simply, this is God's word, God puts it, if someone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And we are not to be afraid of the implications of that for who we have fellowship with and do not have fellowship with. And that leads us to the last verse, our time has gone. And this is this commandment we have from him, from God, That he who loves God must love his brother also. And this is just summing up, isn't it? This is the summing up of all that's been said here. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. There it is in verse 7. And here it is, the commandment. The commandment that Christ gave, which we've already alluded to. That he who loves God must love his brother also. They can't be divided. This love is a commanded love. It's there in verse 11, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's there in verse 12 that the purpose of this love is that we, that to show the, the God who no one has ever seen. It's assumed in verse 16, he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. It is a command. And as with all of God's commandments, it means two things. It means one, it's not automatic, and it means two, it is possible. You don't command people to do things they can't do, and you don't command people to do things that they can't help doing. It is to be worked at by God. And God is the one who gives us power to keep it. Let me just quote from Isaiah and think of it in this context. There's much more to this. I was preaching on this this morning, so it's in my head. But those great verses at the end of Isaiah 40. How am I going to love my brothers? How am I going to keep it up? How am I going to love people who sometimes aren't very lovely at all? How am I going to do it against all the weakness of the flesh and all the selfishness and all the other obstacles? And here's the answer, even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. We can do all things through him who gives us strength, the spirit overcoming the flesh. So John has been giving us this test of love and as with all we are told aren't we test yourself examine yourself see whether you're in the faith as we match ourselves against the word of god here it must lead to one of two things it will lead to assurance of salvation or it will lead to conviction of sin and therefore the need of salvation of mercy And grace from God to change the hard heart and to take away the heart of stone and to put within the heart of flesh. Make sure then that you can pass the God-given test, the God-given love test of life. And if you can, be assured even as you look forward to the day of judgment, that on that day Christ will say, come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your assurance and your challenge as they both always keep coming throughout your word. The assurance that you love us if we see in any way the evidence of your great change, of that new birth within us, that you will never let us go, that you will never let us down. Oh Lord, help us to be assured when we're weak and feeble. And Lord, we pray, if any here this evening are still outside of Christ, may they be challenged by your word and convicted of their sin and brought to plead for mercy which you will surely give them in Christ. Here as we pray, bless your word to us all in Jesus' name. And as we come around the table in a moment, help us indeed to know the wonder that you sent your son to be the propitiation for our sins. Stir up our love to him, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.